Hello, novelists and novelistas. Welcome to Mile 3 of the Novel Marathon. For the newcomers amongst you, this podcast is called Novel Marathon because a marathon has 26 miles and this podcast will have 26 episodes published over the course of a year. You can expect a new one roughly every two weeks. During that year, we'll write the first draft of an 80,000-word novel. We'll be reading three books. The One-Year Novelist by Alan Lilly, Story Genius by Lisa Cron, and This Year You Write Your Novel by Walter Mosley. The podcast is basically a bi-weekly self-paced class, and like in any class, there will be assignments and readings, which we'll discuss in each episode. You'll find details in the show notes for each one. The assignment for today was to read chapters 3 and 4 in The One-Year Novelist and chapter 5 in Story Genius. If you're totally new to the show, I recommend you go back to episode 1 and follow along at your own pace. It's February. How has January been treating you? How are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? I'm hanging in there, but I admit work has been busy and it's been hard to fit writing into my schedule. I blame Omicron. Before Omicron, I would go straight to Starbucks after dropping off my kids at school. Now I come straight home, and once I'm home, it's just so easy to get sucked into email and Slack. I've tried writing at night, but I'm not a night owl, and by the time it's evening, my head is already full from a day spent working remotely, so I think the morning is the way to go for me. I just have to get up sooner, which I managed to do the past couple days, turn off my Slack notifications and go straight to my writing desk when I come home from morning drop-off. I'll let you know how it goes and I'm thinking of all of you out there who are also working hard to make time and space for your creative ambitions. I suppose that brings us straight to chapter 4 in The One-Year Novelist. One of the assignments was to check in with three people and report how it's been going. I just gave you my status update from the trenches. And if you've run into a few snacks yourself, don't despair. The good news is that we are still in the planning phases of your novel. In fact, we're still in the first half of the planning phase. So you have time to establish a writing routine and get to a point where you have a protected window to sit down and get words onto the page. So even if you've had a bumpy start to the year, not all is lost. There's still plenty of time to plan your novel and write it. In fact, we have 11 months to plan and write it. So let's use the time wisely. The rest of chapter four is about the story spark. We talked about story spark last time. It's also sometimes called the inciting incident. It's the moment the ball gets rolling on your story. In a murder mystery, it's the discovery of the dead body in Harry Potter, it's the moment Harry gets the letter from Hogwarts. There's no escaping that letter, no matter how hard the Dursleys try to make it go away. In your story, you also need an inciting incident, which introduces the audience to your protagonist and the conflict he or she will spend the rest of the book confronting. For your book, if you followed along so far, you already have a pretty good idea of your protagonist and the conflict, and you know that the challenges posed by the conflict will get bigger and bigger throughout the book. You spend time in chapters 3 and 4 making the conflict even stronger. And you can probably already imagine what type of challenges that will set up for your main character. Enter chapter 5 of The One-Year Novelist. 
At this point, Alan Lilly introduces a new concept, the one quarter twist. So what's the one quarter twist? Alan Lilly is asking you to take out your crystal ball and look into the future and imagine what might happen a quarter or so through the book that will make the conflict even more urgent for your main character. How can you tighten the screws so that a challenging situation becomes even more inescapable for your protagonist? Here's how Alan Lilly describes the task at hand. Think about turns your story could take that force your protagonist to change course or alter how she's dealing with the conflict we saw in the story spark. She uses an example from Pride and Prejudice. In Pride and Prejudice, the protagonist, Elizabeth Bennet, attends a ball where nearly all her family members embarrass themselves to a very great degree, though none of them realize it. This display appalls the antagonist, Darcy. It also spins the story in a new direction because Darcy's best friend Bingley and Elizabeth's older sister have fallen in love. Darcy decides to do all he can to separate the two. Suddenly, Bingley leaves town. Elizabeth is devastated for her sister and when she learns of Darcy's role in her sister's heartbreak, she believes him to be the worst of man. Think about it this way. What could happen that makes it clear to the protagonist that her usual tricks aren't working on this problem she faces? What could happen that causes your main character to recognize for the first time that her old way of doing things won't cut it and that she has to change her approach? Which brings us to page 16 of The One Year Novelist, where Ellen Lilly asks you to imagine what this one quarter twist could look like in your book. In fact, she asks you to imagine more than a dozen different possible twists. So start brainstorming some problems that the universe could throw at your main character about 25% through your book, which would kick the conflict into high gear. I personally found this exercise really helpful, precisely because I've had trouble devoting much time to my story lately, and also because I've had the protagonist, the antagonist, and the basic conflict already mapped out for a while. If you're in the same boat and you lived with the same idea for a while, you'll see that this exercise forces you to think about your story in new ways, introducing new possibilities. I found that invigorating. At this point, I have a bunch of possible one-quarter twists already and look forward to coming up with even more. In fact, that's giving me something to write about tomorrow morning, reinforcing my newfound commitment to my early morning writing routine. The assignment is working for me. I hope it works for you too. In chapter six of The One Year Novelist, we're going back to the idea of commitment because writing a book is no simple task. What's going to keep you going? Imagine what it's going to be like to finish your novel. Write down what you're going to do as a reward for yourself when you type the words, the end. I've been thinking about this since yesterday when I started working on this episode. The first thing that popped into my mind was get a massage. I can't wait until the day when that's possible again without worrying about COVID. I'm optimistic and hope that in a year, the world will look a little different. And maybe I'll treat myself to a new espresso machine. Our old one still works and will work for another 11 months, I hope, keeping me caffeinated through this project. But once I finish my novel, 
perhaps it's time to treat myself to one of those models that look like a UFO has landed in my kitchen and can grind beans, steam milk and mop the floor. I'm putting it on my rewards list and encourage you to start yours. Once you've figured out your one quarter twist, it's time to start thinking about your book's midpoint. According to Ellen Lilly, the reason so many book projects fizzle out is because many writers are struggling with what she calls a saggy middle. So what is a strong midpoint? A strong midpoint is different from the one quarter twist. The one quarter twist was still something that was externally happening to the protagonist, a new challenge that exposed the shortcomings in her problem solving approach and her misbeliefs about the world. But once your protagonist reaches the midpoint, she should no longer be a victim of circumstance. She needs to commit to a course of action. Or, in Ellen Lilly's words, she needs to throw caution to the wind. Here's another example from Pride and Prejudice. In Pride and Prejudice, Elizabeth rejects a marriage proposal from Darcy, telling him in no uncertain terms that she blames him for her sister's unhappiness and believes him to be a horrible person. This is no light matter, as Elizabeth and her sisters will be in desperate financial straits if none of them marry well. Eventually, they will lose their home due to the way their father's estate is entailed, and none are married or have any prospects. Finally, though she doesn't know it yet, Elizabeth is wrong about a major part of Darcy's conduct and will need to realize she loves him. So clearly, Elizabeth is indeed throwing caution to the wind. After all, she's in a precarious situation, her sisters are in a precarious situation, and she rejects the only prospect for a husband that she has in Mr. Darcy. And of course, none of that would have happened without the one-quarter twist, which helped set up Mr. Darcy as a terrible guy in Elizabeth's eyes. Darcy's actions wouldn't have been possible without the one-quarter twist, because those very events prompted him to interfere with Elizabeth's sister's romance, which then incurred Elizabeth's anger. So, a strong middle is the consequence of a forceful one-quarter twist. Once you brainstorm and nail down your own one-quarter twist, think about what action your protagonist might take that is connected to the twist. How does the one-quarter twist push your protagonist over the edge and make him or her do something strong and decisive and forward-looking while still being blinded by their misbelief? When you're planning your strong midpoint, think about these three questions. How can your protagonist commit to a cause, a fight, or a larger goal? How is your protagonist doubling down? And What's the throw caution to the wind moment in your story? This brings us to Lisa Kron's book, Story Genius, in our reading assignment today, chapter five, entitled, Why Does Your Protagonist Care? You may remember from our last episode that what-if scenarios are only compelling to the degree that they relate to your protagonist's specific situation and the moment she finds herself at in life. Going back to Pride and Prejudice, the fact that Elizabeth turns down Mr. Darcy's marriage proposal resonates precisely because we know details about Elizabeth's situation and her past. We know that she and her sisters have absolutely no financial security. That's what makes that action so consequential and resonant. 
In Lisa Crohn's words, before you can abandon your protagonist's plans, you need to know what those plans are and most important, why they matter to her. Remember that when you work on your one quarter twist and your midpoint, both of these are stronger if they directly relate to your character's specific situation and specific past. Now you might say, but I don't know her past yet. I haven't written the book. But the cool thing is you don't need to know all of the backstory. You just need to know a few key facts. In Elizabeth's case, that there is no male heir in the family and she and her sisters are all unmarried at this point. In chapter five of Story Genius, Lisa Crone illustrates these points using a small two-character movie called Sparrow's Dance, which I'm happy to report you can watch for free on Pluto TV as of the publishing of this episode in February 2022. The main character of Sparrow's Dance is an actress who has a crippling case of agoraphobia. The movie revolves around the fact that her bathroom is broken and she has no choice but to call a plumber. Under ordinary circumstances, a movie about a plumber fixing a toilet would be about as interesting as watching paint dry. But in this case, for a main character who can barely bring herself to open the door for the delivery guy, it becomes gripping drama. So again, it's the past of the character up to the point when the story starts and what we know about her inner life that makes the external events the toilet breaking, aka the quarter point twist and her calling the plumber, the action she takes in response, fascinating. Sparrow's Dance is not about a plumber's visit. It's about how the protagonist overcomes her fear and her crippling misbelief, as in being out in the world will kill me. And it's about how she takes her first step back into the outside world because of her want, a longing for human connection, which is ultimately stronger than her fear. And that brings us to the exercise in chapter five on page 77 in Story Genius, which is to write a short paragraph about what your character enters the novel wanting, even if she doesn't think she has a chance in hell of getting it. To do this, I recommend you take a look at the sketch you wrote about your protagonist earlier. Now, look below the surface. What does this person really want? Being happy is not specific enough. Dig deeper. What specifically does he or she want that would make them happy? And then take it even further. Now that you know what would make them happy, why specifically would it make them happy? What is it about their past that makes them value and pursue this particular goal? What does she think reaching this goal will say about her? Remember, the outside world might view her reaching that goal quite differently. Moreover, at the end of the story, the main character may also change her view of what reaching her goal will mean to her. That's the whole point of the story. And that brings us to the all-important misbelief. Why do people have misbeliefs about the world? According to Lisa Cron, that's because at some point in their life, the misbelief was probably true, even if it was only for a short time or for one situation. In her words, defining misbeliefs tend to spring up during difficult situations and when they do, they rescue us from something that might otherwise harm us. 
They're little aha moments that clue us into what seems to be the way of the world. Using this hard-won intel, we then set out our own agenda, trusting the misbelief to guide us through the rocky parts. For example, a character might believe that unless they're perfect, nobody will love them. You and I know that that's not true, but at some point, something happened in that character's past that gave him or her the idea that being perfect was the only way to earn the love of their family or of a romantic partner. Now they are applying this misbelief to all new situations, but clinging to this old misbelief is actually what's causing them to fail at a new relationship, for example, because they are afraid to show their flaws. They will have to overcome their defining misbelief and learn how to approach the challenge of finding a partner in new ways in order to discover love and allow someone to love their imperfect self. In Lisa's words, only by knowing your protagonist's defining misbelief can you craft a story that will test it to the max, opening his eyes along the way, or depending on the point you're making, tragically not. The last writing prompt in chapter 5 is to define your protagonist's misbeliefs. Write down what she wants and what the fear is that keeps her from achieving it. One question I found helpful to get my arms around my character's misbelief is this. What does she think the very worst thing that could happen would be? Try to picture it. In the example we discussed earlier, someone who builds their entire identity around being perfect, the worst thing that can happen is to publicly fail. Once you can picture the worst possible thing that could happen, you have a pretty good hint what the character's underlying misbelief might be. And that, my friends, is the final exercise that you're supposed to work on for the next two weeks. Once you've worked your way through all the writing prompts we discussed today, congratulations, you are more than halfway done planning your novel. And even better, you still have time left to catch up. We're still a few weeks away from churning out prose, so use the time to get the books, dive into the readings, listen to the previous episodes. Armed with these tools, imagine your character, conflict, antagonist, their misbeliefs, as well as the one-quarter twist and strong midpoint as fully as you can. For more information on this episode, go to novelmarathon.com. You can also find the show on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Novel Marathon and never miss a new episode. Happy reading, writing, and planning. I'm the undercover novelist, and I look forward to catching up with you in about two weeks. Good luck and talk soon.